0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem at Torah, overlooking the Western Wall. I think that happiness is a bit of a problem in that it, uh, it fools us into thinking that that's the goal. Because anytime you feel happy, it just feels so good that you start to think, wow, wouldn't it be great to always feel this way? And next thing you know, you're making happiness the goal and a lot of people do that and commercials do that and marketers do that and you know it seems like it seems like the whole world's willing to market happiness and but meanwhile everyone knows if you make happiness the goal you'll spend a lot of your life unhappy because life's not happy it's just not happy you know can you not can you say that for a latecomer please so life's just not really that happy if if you were so happy all the time you'd probably be on glue there's no happiness that's consistent like that you know people don't generally for example uh, most people don't wake up happy you know and uh, and and when people are working they're not necessarily experiencing happiness and and so making happiness the goal is a great way to spend your life waiting for it to happen which may be after work or maybe after your first cup of coffee or I don't know when happiness hits you, but it could be you've been falling into the same trap that most people are, and, that was, and that's making happiness your goal. And so, get rid of it as a goal, it's just a lousy goal, and it's not why God created the world. He didn't create the world for you to be happy. <laughs> if He created the world for you to be happy, you would have been like born in a jacuzzi with a cocktail in your hand or something, you know. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, it just would have been a totally different creation. But there is something that the world is. Uh, there is an actual goal, and it's worth having, and and that, and, and sacrificing for, and and even having joy in the sacrifice. And what is that that's worth having? That's worth sacrificing for? That that's greater than happiness? <clears throat> a connection to a sham? Okay, that's that's a nice religious answer. <laughs> What? Truth. Truth. Okay. Is an overarching better word for all of this? Service. Service. Okay. I'm so glad you're all trying. This is great. What? Torah. Torah. Self-actualization. Self-actualization. These are all great ones, and every one of them is better than (laughs) happiness. And by the way, everything you've said so far, if you actually did that, you'd probably come out happier in the end. Spirituality, shalom <laughs> bias. <laughs> <laughs> pleasure. H. makes play like they really push the pleasure one, pleasure principle. Anyway, um, the, you'll notice that the thing that really brings you the most happiness and the thing you're willing to sacrifice the most for and be okay with that sacrifice is, and this is going to sound a little like unexciting and anticlimactic, but it's meaning meaning. You're, you're, we are meaning-driven organisms, and and whatever you find the most meaningful, which for some of you is Avodah Hashem, some of you is Tyre, and some of you is spirituality, and some of you is Shalom Bais, and some of you... Like, everything you listed are all things. Those all fall into one big category called meaning, because human beings are organisms that will go for meaning and sacrifice a lot to get it. Now, it's crazy what people will think is meaningful. I mean, you know, just go on... You know Instagram newsfeed, which I highly don't suggest, especially if you're male, but go into n- Instagram newsfeed and just look at all the things that people think are meaningful, and you'd just be shocked at like w- how random meaning you know, because everyone's going to have something else that they find meaningful. But once you find something meaningful, boy, will you sacrifice? like for example, everyone like loves to um, everyone loves to kind of sensationalize. The sport of surfing, everyone loves to sensationalize that, but you should know what a nightmare surfing is. surfing's is basically a disaster first of all, you can't learn it as an adult. no offense to all of you who think you surf um you ca- you can't learn it as an adult um, once in once while I go like this to people in the window they should they should come. <coughs> come on in <laughs> um, one of you, you you want a couple's seat you can both sit here, come over here. Sit, sit right next to me. <laughs> uh, <he's gone. laughs> Table for two? Your waiter will be right with him. Sure. Uh, just to catch you up, uh, what we were t- talking about, everyone was brainstorming on what's like what life's all about. And what we came up with in the end is that life's all about meaning. And all the things you would think life's about, it's just what brings you the most meaning. So human beings are organisms that feed off meaning. Now, I was saying something just before, and I can't remember what it was. Surfing, surfing yeah. So people like sensationalize the sport of surfing, but you've got to know what a disaster the sport is. It's a really bad sport. Um, first of all, on the elite levels, how many people you think in the world are elite surfers of all the people who think they surf? <laughs> Very few. And it's really hard to learn. You've got to basically be a little kid to learn it. It takes hours and hours and hours but now let's say you became that surfer who can now surf and now you've made that the meaning you know because you surf, and that's what's meaningful and then you know what you do you spend like years and years and years chasing after waves you just spend your life chasing after waves trying to get to waves that you can surf and it's not so easy because think of the variables involved you got wind direction swell directions you got that there's got to be a swell to begin with that's waves the swell You've got a wave frequency. You've got um, cra- the crowd. Like you know, what good is it if you all f- you, if you're all good at figuring out where the best waves are? That means you got a hundred people trying to ride one wave, which means you'll be lucky to come out after three hours having ridden two. And and that would be a good day. And the and it's like and it, and the list just goes on and on. And who says it's not pouring rain? You know, I've been surfing where where the only respite you had from from Biting hail, in frozen temperatures, in a hood and gloves and booties and you know a five millimeter wetsuit is the only thing, only respite your ears have from getting. Well, you're wearing a hood, so you're okay with the ears. But the only respite you have from getting pelted with frozen hail is inside the tube of the wave, where it blocks the hail for a moment, and then you're back in the hail again. I mean, the, the sport is hail itself, and. Yet, we all love to, th- yet, surfers will spend all these years sacrificing, spending money traveling all over the world, giving up their marriages and their jobs because surfers are, are famous for being, for being uh, the types who avoid responsibilities because they've got to go surf. And so, like, it's the number one sport of construction workers in America and uh, on coastal areas. And of course, you know, if you're, build- if you're a builder in California, for example, or Australia, you know that if there are big waves, you have no one working that day. You know, and, and it, no one will be there. And if it's a good winter altogether or a good summer altogether, the place just never gets built, in which beca- gets very costly if you're a builder. And you know, the point is, is that we make meaning. I was just giving an example of a really stupid thing to make meaningful. But if you want stupid ideas of making something meaningful, you can just go straight through Instagram newsfeed and see all the other stupid things that people think are meaningful. And by the way, no offense those watching, if you're an Instagram poster and putting inane meaningless things on there, you know, just uh, my apologies if I've offended you. My intention is never to offend anybody, but it is always to wake people up. Now, when you've discovered what's meaningful, so now you're willing to sacrifice for it and there's a pleasure even in the sacrifice. Which is so cool, because all of this is la fuké, happiness. Which is what the world thinks life's about. People even bless people to be happy. And I bless you to be happy all the time. Or you'll get a breast liver going, mitzvah gedol la niyot mitzvah niyot v'simcha He says, it's a great mitzvah to be happy all the time. It's like, what? Now, what, maybe what he's saying based on my shear is that that if you spend your life developing and sacrificing for the thing you found the most meaning, and that meaning is something worth having, as opposed to stupid ones, but it's actually a meaning worth having. Like, for example, connection to the eternal. And you, you sacrifice for that, and you work your way towards that. Well, maybe then you have a great mitzvah to be happy all the time because you've connected yourself to things worth sacrificing for. But if you look at your life, let me I don't know if any of you uh, ever went to um, university and studied business, but let me tell you the most important thing you learn in business school, especially in economics, is that, and heres it's called the law of economy, and the law is like this. You always trade a lesser good to get a greater good. You always trade a lesser good to get a greater good. Everyone try that. Say, together, you're going to say law of economy. Ready? One, two, three... Law of economy, and now you're going to say you only trade a lesser good to get a greater good. Try that. You only trade a lesser good to get a greater good. That's the law of economy, and you trade happily a lesser good to get a greater. Good. Let's say for some reason you're a big victim of marketing, and you've decided for whatever insane reason to drink Coca-Cola. Okay, and uh, oh, speaking of which, I was thinking I should be—I should really start announcing people's products. I, I think the majority of people watch me in Brooklyn and Muncie and Lakewood. Like, I should really be, you know, people should sponsor classes, you know. And today's given and brought to you by, uh, you know, Goldstein Realtors. And so, anyway, if you're listening to this, maybe it'll be the first time I'll ever do it, is I'm going to bring up your amazing company. You know, it's a great idea, I think. Yeah, a lot of people are watching it. Why not? So, anyway... Um, why was' talking about Brooklyn just now no, no, not about that oh coca cola is is if you're if you've gone temporarily insane and decided to lay two bucks down for a coca cola so what you're you're making an, a statement with your two dollars you're saying it's worth more or less than that coca cola more or less less not equal if it's equal that's when you're like. Mm and then you look to your right and you see a coke in a fridge it's cold and you're like oh it's worth it yeah Mm-mm. and then the coca cola is 10 dollars but you're thinking hmm i'm in a fancy restaurant here and it's like i got to drink something and i can't look like a total cheapskate you know anyone here dating like anyone here any men taking girls out on dates no men the <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is, this is Couples Day in the in the Essentials class. We've got uh, we've got couples in their fifties. How many uh, we got here? Uh, one, two, three. This has never happened before. One, two, three, four, five, six. You, you didn't bring your husband. Six couples with six couples in their fifties in Essentials. <laughs> unprecedented. Such a situation. If you think that's unprecedented, I'm a rub from Muncie and who walks in? The rub from the next door sure. Oh, wow. <laughs> you're the rub from the next door sure. Yes, amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> are you from Muncie also? <laughs> <laughs> don't tell me you're from Muncie now. And where are you from? <laughs> no, you're from Muncie? My name's Yomtev. <laughs> Oh, that was it? You were just getting a sound bite? (laughs) I'll be in... I'm giving a share in Muncie uh, for men. um, Men only? Men only on November... I'll give you a little card. Men only on November... uh, November twenty. Third, February. Sorry, sorry, February. February. And the rabbits in the 24th. <laughs> I think that's the first time he's ever been to a co-ed class. <laughs> he looked like he was really suffering. Um, anyway, but if you had that insanity and bought the Coke... Well, the person behind the counter f- feels the same way as you do, he, he, but opposite, he's like, I'm really glad you feel that way about your $2 and about my Coke, and he hands you the Coke. So he hands you the Coke, clearly displaying that that Coke's worth less than $2, which makes you, you should worry when someone hands you a product. <laughs> Anytime anyone hands you a product, they're making a very clear statement about that product. That's worth less than the amount. Now, there's cash you know, there's, there's accounting, because they're paying rent and they're paying electricity and they're providing a service and you got to pay for that. But they are happily handing something over. And so you got to think about that. Because you want it to be as fair as possible. And this is another reason why it's really important, this is a side note, is to use accounting firms for, um, if you have a product that you'd like to sell, did I say accounting firms? Sorry, um... Marketing firms. Why? Because you're too close to your product. You think either too highly of it or too lowly of it. So you'll either give it away too cheap or you're going to overprice people. You need a marketer to look at it and say, let me communicate the value to the consumer. Because you're you're just going to do a lousy job communicating the, the value of this to the consumer. And so marketing firms are really important. And, and it's worth spending the extra money and it's not just a little. Oh, welcome back. Oh no. <laughs> it's a, a bouches. How, how, how big a chesh when you guys make who has to come back in? <laughs> <laughs> they flipped a coin. <laughs> hey, awesome. They finally decided to flip a coin. <laughs> Who's coming back in? The <laughs> first sponsor Mark? Yeah, yeah yeah, I should have a marketing firm be my first sponsor. Yeah. Anyway, um, anyway, but that's it's communicating value. So why are we talking about this? I thought we were talking about get off of the happiness business, get into the meaning business, and now all of a sudden we're talking about the law of economy and, and how you, you you'll trade a lesser good for a greater good. And the reason is is because human beings are sophisticated in that we don't just... We're not koala bears going for burnt eucalyptus leaves. But we're, but we're human beings. And human beings don't go for eucalyptus. We go for meaning. That's what means something to us. This is why you don't just eat dessert, but you eat desserts in funny colors and, and you know all kinds of funky stuff that we call desserts. And my, my girls are dessert chefs. They do gourmet ges- dessert... Uh, Cheffery, and and you know I'm like very meaning food means nothing to me. You know, it literally is nothing but fuel to me. And now of course I play the game and you know, I eat their desserts and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. You know, meanwhile I'm like, you know, like, I hope the food coloring isn't going to like color my stomach or something. And and you know, food to me is nothing more than fuel. Food to my wife is love. Food to my wife is love, period. That's love. Your kids aren't yeah, they know how I feel about desserts. <laughs> and they know I'm playing along, but whatever. They're, they're willing to... They always make me a little something that I would like, which would be like cut fruit salad. <laughs> cut fruit salad. It's like. special treat. no. <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, but food is love <laughs> to my wife. And that's what she makes meaning out of and she will sacrifice for that. She will sacrifice her time and she'll sacrifice effort and she just she'll just put it out there, like big time, to to let us know that we're loved. You know, last week twice there was whole meals set up for nobody. For nobody. Just coincidentally, like this one had aerobics and this one had Pilates and this one had this and this one had that and I had something and and so, and here she was, like, I love you. And we're just like, bye. Yeah. You know. no, but it, we had leftovers, you know, for the next day and stuff. <laughs> this morning I was actually hungry. And I came out to find her toasting bread and slicing tomatoes and cucumbers and, and mm-hmm. doppling out, you know, tuna salad and egg salad. And, and I said, I hope that's for me. And she's like... Of course, that's. You. It was for me actually, but she, like uh, she goes out on a limb because preparing food for me without asking me if I'm hungry, is like a, a definitely a good way to have your heart broken. And but she lucked out today you know, <laughs> that I actually was really hungry. I'd already learned Davin that, that I learned that I was like, some about learning Tyra, makes you famished, and so I was <laughs> I was ready to eat. The point is is that. We trade a lesser good to get a greater good. What's the greatest good? Meaning. Meaning's the greatest good. The stuff that brings meaning in life is the greatest good, and we'll sacrifice any amount, and we'll be happy while we sacrifice it. And when we get the meaning we're looking for, we'll be happy when we have that meaning. So what should be the goal, happiness or meaning? Meaning. Because you know what that does? That knocks your, your pleasure time and your work time all into the realm of pleasure into the realm of happy you understand it pushes your your fulfilling whatever it is you wanted and what you had to put out to fulfill it all into the into the realm of the happy now there the, your happiness can get even higher though and there's there's ways to make your happiness higher and that is and this is something that's a whole subject. And so it deserves its own hour, but it's to move your life into the realm of service. When you, to realize that I'm here to serve people. And that even goes if you run a business and you haven't thought about the fact of the service, you've been thinking only about the money, but move your brain to the service you're providing and become someone who's here to serve. That is the, one of the greatest secrets in having a happy life is to live your life in service. Now it's very interesting if you if you look at people, some people are really born to serve. And some people are born to I don't know what, to you know, just be dynamic and fun and leader leading and funny and, you know, you know, everyone loves to be around them. And if if you're the server type and that's and your siblings the like bubbly happy type who's like always like, you know, making a good time for everybody and having a good time and you sometimes can live your life like Cinderella and feel so jealous that this one's always you know, having a good time while you're kind of naturally flow, naturally going towards service while your siblings like, you know, having you know you know, Mr. or Miss Happy all the time or, I don't want to use her, happy but, you know, the bubbly, fun types like the dumb blonde types and, um and meanwhile you're like busy serving the whole time. You don't realize that you're, you're if you're the server, you're laughing your way to the bank. Because the fun, bubbly types who just can't wait for their next experience, and that's, by the way, those are their factory settings, just like the server's got factory settings. But the ones who are just here to have the next great experience, those people have major ups and downs in their well-being. They have a lot of ups and downs in their well-being because not every moment is some amazing experience. And because they're they're just always trying to create higher experiences for themselves, they find themselves on a crazy roller coaster ride emotionally. Their lives aren't very stable. Servers are very stable and they're doing well all the time as we describe because the meaning is whether you're whether you're fulfilling it or going towards fulfilling it, meaning the work that you sacrifice to get there. Whereas experiential people really only feel the geschmackkeit of life, the, the, the joy of life when they're in the experience that they want. Not a great recipe. And the reason I bring this up is so all of us realize that those of us are the experiential types. Let's get the, who are the, who are, who are the people that are naturally, everyone's gotta raise your hand, you get two choices. Server or experiential. So who are the natural servant server types? Raise your hand for natural server types. Okay, it's about half of you. And who are the natural experiential types? Okay, about the other half which makes total sense according to personality traits that there are people there's two types of personalities one are called dynamics and the other are called supportives and those two types perfectly laid themselves out in this room as half the room were supportives and half the room were dynamics but the problem is dynamics have roller coaster rides for their lives and while supportives are quite stable and so what are the what do the dynamics do what do the experiential types do So our job is to flip it all into service, flip it into service. And I did this in my own life, I mean, I'll just share a little from my own life, is that I did this very specifically because I love experiences. And what I chose to do in my life is to give people experiences. You'll notice every class you come to, (laughs) I'm giving an experience in my class, which is a funny thing to do, because most, a lot of people who have never been to my class think they're coming for, like, you know, information or something. You know, you just heard Ken Spear. It's, it's like a content class. My classes are never content-oriented. I'll give a little content, like a tiny bit of content I throw in just to kind of be the skeleton of the class. But my classes are always for the experience. And what am I doing the whole time? I'm giving People experience and so and so I've flipped my experience junkie personality into giving experience and so tonight for example I'm inviting all the men you can tell everyone about this later make sure everything gets up at it later the uh, I'm inviting all the men to the possible you seminar experience to t- teach people how to really maximize experience of life now you might say this the servants have meaning the people who are here to serve have a better life because the way I painted it they do. And and it makes it sound like the experiential types aren't really having much of a life in that they get experience but they often have the downs of when it's not experiential which is also true. But there is a big mile in the experience, so I'd like to, since I already spoke about experiential people getting to the level of service, so let's talk about the service people getting into experience, is that God creates the world at all times from scratch, from nothing. The world's coming yesh mi it's something from nothing at all times, which means that in the end, experience is all there is. Anything that's not experiential is just your own concept of it, everything in life is experiential. Now, experiential people are much more likely to lock in with that. Like, for example, uh, these three guys, maybe even four with Mark, I don't know Mark that well, but like Shlomo and Zev and Ben Sion, you guys are total experienced guys. And and so your job is to flip it to service, like turn your life into a life of service. And, and I don't know what Mark is exactly, because he's running cameras, I would guess he's in service, but I'm not sure. And the... Uh, um but but your guy's job is to go towards service and the and the service people's job is to go towards experience i'm not saying to go towards dynamic service people will spend their many siblings for example will spend their lives shooting themselves in the foot for not being dynamic like their other siblings bad error big mistake you are spitting in the face of god who created you a very specific way which comes with the richest life ever. You have a rich life. And as I said before, there's no downtime because the what would be called the downtime is just you sacrificing towards the meaning of of what you can do for others. So when you're doing it for others it's amazing and when you're doing what's necessary to prepare to do for others, like my wife in the kitchen, you know, doing for for us is so meaningful to her. it's meaningful the entire time, and so to the, the, um, the experiential types, we have to learn how to serve, we have to learn service, and by, by learning service we will, we will, um, I forget, what do we get out of service? Was meaning that was what we were saying? Oh, I was giving a little hint to, to meaning is service. Yeah, that was the hint to meaningful life is to turn your life toward service. And then you'll, you'll have a meaningful life. So the experiential types move your life towards service. And it really is very special to do service. Uh, last night I was driving a group of I had to drive my children to the their the to the funeral of of uh of uh I'm not even going to say who but the but it was heavy and very heavy on us but what happened was that we had about 40 minutes to leave when I realized the actual people who were going to be the children of the deceased have no way to get to the funeral and so I just realized I have just enough time to get them to the funeral drive back and get my kids my next-door neighbor and then drive back to get meaning go back get my kids and then drive them again. And and it was a deep service to do that for them. And and I, I was specifically driving and experiencing the like the last thing I wanted to do in the world was be driving right then and and do, doing anything. And but he, being in service was deeply meaningful at that point and I, I put that on as much as i can as an experience junkie to put on service as often as possible i put that on in the just my last flight i was just flying back from the u.s i was on united and everyone was watching this stewardess trying to put someone's bag in the overhead compartment unsuccessfully i mean she just kept pushing it up because it looked like it fit but it just didn't fit and so i tried a few times and didn't fit and, and so I finally unloaded the entire thing and thought it through and told everyone this is simply Tetris and and I s- rethought it and saw how with the right arrangement it's all going to close anyway when I finally closed it the whole cabin cheered <laughs> and the stewardess was so pleased that this took place but the last person you're expecting to do this Tetris is the rabbi the Hasidic Rabbi on a Gentile united flight. But it was a service another service moment. And anyway, so for us it's service. For us experiential times. (sighs) Yeah, I've been seeing. Would another word for service be um, like structure and boundaries around things? Um you're asking a deep question that if service, another word for it is boundaries and structure, structure and boundaries, um, they're very related. You'll notice that service-oriented people ha- are much better with structure and experienced people are much w- less structure-oriented, but that's because God created the entire world in the ten spheres and you've got the right side, which is the right brain and the right, the flow people, and then you've got the structure people. So you'll notice generally service people are more structure which is like pretty nice of God to do that because if you're actually involved in service so it'd be nice if you think in terms of structures so that you can actually be effective you know you don't want to be a flowmeister in service because flowmeisters are just going to con- find themselves constantly frustrated taking ten trips back to this market you know to get the ingredients because they just keep running home without them and so they don't know how to make lists properly and, and check them and and pick stuff off the shelf. You know, I'm a big flowmeister. My wife sends me to the shook. Well, she hadn't sent me in a while, but she would send me to the shook, you know, the Machini Huda market, to pick stuff up for her. And, you know, and she only asked for like three things. I come back, I come back with this giant cart, you know, packed to the brim, two hours later. Somewhat drunk. And, you no, know, because there's a lot of, Breweries in the Shook and you know, craft beer everywhere, and they all think I, I'm the rabbi of their brewery. You know, and, you know they think I got to try this one and try that one and try that. I don't pay anything. It's just like the owners of the breweries think I have to try everything, and uh, and I go so infrequently that like there's always something new I have to try. And anyway, so I get home and my wife's like, she after unloading like a thousand shekels worth of produce. there's like a lot of stuff there minus the three things she asked for you know and she's just like yeah I'll be right back we live in Nakhlo we live a hundred yards from the Shook so it's like it's just a no brainer to run out and get stuff and come right back And literally ten minutes is all it takes to pick stuff up Um, anyway that was like lessons learned over a decade ago she doesn't bother with me and the Shook anymore but those blessed people in the Shuk, so nice. the, the people who run the stores there are so blessed. And, you know, when I was a young Kolel guy, learning, learning full-time in Kolel, there were a lot of shabboses where I didn't have any money. A lot of shabboses, and, and my Shabbos day was going to be packed with like, you know, everyone off the wall is coming to my Shabbos day one. And I didn't, I didn't have any money. And I'm going to be feeding 30, 40 people that night. But I learned a lesson early, is that you always go back to the same vendors in the shuk every week. Always use the same people. Which means you're getting to know each other, and they're getting to know me, and they're getting to know my wife, and they're getting to know my kids, and they're getting to know our family. And there were so many Shabbases, where they were just like, you'll get us next week, you know? Here's, here's your produce, you know? And, and they just write it down, and I would write it down. And there are many, many, many Shabbases, where the entire Shabbos, food, drink, fish, meat, you name it: salads, fruit, and vegetables, all on the shuk for free. Shabbos. There were Shabbases that I think I probably hit a record of three Shabbases in a row, all paid for by the shuk. You know, it's who's like our people. You know, who is like Israel? Shuk vendors paying for whole Shabbos meals, and you say, and they feed. They they'll feed anybody if you go up to a shuk guy and say, you know. You know, I just don't have money for vegetables right now. But if you don't mind, I'll just take the minimal amount. He'll be like, kidding? Take. Es mein Kind. And the, uh, my, uh, I remember once I was getting evicted when I was a young Kolo guy. Again, the, if you're watching this, you don't know what Kolo means. Kolo means, uh, when, when you, t- w- we, Jewish people take Torah study super seriously. We take it so seriously that we're willing to basically sacrifice our livelihood to study it. And there's something called kohlel, and that is that after you've been a student and and then you finally get married, when you get married, you get a stipend so that you can continue studying Torah. And so I continued for five years. And in those five years, there were many times I had no money. And there was one time where I was three months late on my rent. Guess how much my rent was in the center of town? Center of town, my rent was $400 a month. Yeah, how much would rent be now in the center of town for an apartment for a couple? I don't even know what it would be. Probably over $1,000. I wouldn't even know. Anyway, so, anyway, but I was 1200 The guy, the landlord says, listen, I love you, you're great, but, like, you're going to have to move out because I just, you know, I'm renting this apartment. I need the $400, and, and now it's $1,200, and, you know, let's go. So... So what happened was I I, um, I I I went at night to study, because that's what I do, I study. So I, I left my wife after dinner, and I went to the study hall in a place called Bate Broide, which is, I actually now live under Bate Broida. and I'm sitting there studying, and my chavrusa, that's my learning partner, says to me, like, you're just not concentrating, like, where is your head tonight? And I'm like... I said to him, like, well, I, I'll tell you the truth, I, I'm getting evicted tomorrow. And so I just, and he's like, okay, so where are you going to go? And I was like, I'll go to the Sion, I don't know, I'll go somewhere where it's cheaper. You know? And he was like, you told your wife, didn't you? And I'm like, no, I, I couldn't tell her. I just couldn't tell her. And I mean, I obviously had to tell her, but I just couldn't get myself to tell her. So. I just never told her, and I was just going to kind of drop the bomb on the day we were moving out, and the, uh, whatever, it's hard to tell people bad news, you know, it's hard to tell people things, and, uh, and you're not supposed to bear bad news, and so, anyway, we finished, you know, he might, we just talked about it, I, I couldn't learn, so we just talked for another half hour, and he was giving me ideas, I'm like, I don't have any ideas left. i thought of all the ideas for the last three months. So, Anyway, I wa- I'm walking home pretty sad and realize I should probably wake her up and tell her so she at least can get up in the morning ready to pack. And, and so, so as I'm getting towards my door I get tapped on the shoulder and I said yeah, and he says hi, I, I couldn't help overhear you speaking to your, your learning partner. And I said, y- you speak English? He's like, I speak English, because he was a fluent Hebrew speaker. They learn in front of us. And I had no idea this guy spoke Hebrew. There was a Hebrew chavrusa amongst all Israelis. He says, yeah, I couldn't help but overhear you. And he says, I, here's $1,200. Pay your rent. And and I was like, I just broke, out, broke down crying. I was like, well, why would you do this to me? I don't even know when I could pay it back. And he says, he says you don't have to pay this. He says, "I happen to have extra money this month, and, and I just want you to have it." And so I, I paid it. And and you know what? It never happened again after that. And I'm still in Nahlot twenty five years later, and and but not just Nachlaot. I'm like the mayor of Nahlot. I'm like, our home became like an institution there, and my life, and everything blossomed out of there. And uh, so much came from that. 1200 bucks the cheapest mitzvah that anyone could have done with their money and we all got to think well when we know someone's in need like we have no idea especially a young person we don't know who we're putting on the map with a little act of kindness or a little good word we could say to somebody when they're, when they're down so anyway the uh, so, so the, uh, later I found out that he was living with five kids in one room and and had no money and he just he really happened to have twelve hundred bucks that day and and paid my rent and he was a person with no money see him once in a while he's still learning full time (laughs) he's a beautiful guy he moved out he he himself had to move out (laughs) he had to move and uh, I didn't have any money for him I I was still struggling when he moved out but he couldn't afford to stay anymore and 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 the, um, anyway we're beautiful people Yisrael, the Jewish people are beautiful people and it's everybody even in Tel Aviv, I, I just can't tell you how m- much people have gone out of their way for me when I'm visiting Tel Aviv and I've had people literally parking their car like they found a spot it's so hard to find a spot in Tel Aviv they found a spot and which was good for me because I pulled up next to them to ask them directions and he looks at this Haredi guy and he's like, Oh my gosh, like I actually get to speak to a Haredi guy instead of watch the media destroy your destroy you. You know, I actually get to talk to a Haredi guy. The like, guy was so excited. And then he's like, you know what? Just follow me. And then drives me fifteen minutes across the entire Leaves' parking spot drives me fifteen minutes. It's happened over and over again. People driving me all around, like having me follow them all through Tel Aviv. To get to to get to where I'm going, and just to juxtapose this, my I just took my wife and kids to America for for ten days, and I didn't buy them SIM cards, which was probably a mistake. But they didn't have any SIM cards, which means when we were at Magic Mountain or we were at Seaworld or we were at the uh, outlets in uh, Oxnard or whatever that area is, and uh, and we were. Uh, in shopping malls you know I have five daughters so it's like you know they're just everywhere in these shopping malls and so we had logistically we had to like meet up a lot of times and so I I, at the beginning of the trip which our first stop was SeaWorld I told them like just borrow a phone you know (laughs) and so you know just ask someone to use their phone it doesn't cost anything you know everyone's plans are not by the call the plans are for the month you know or whatever so, anyway, we learned the hard way that, that the answer is no. The answer is no, you cannot borrow my cell phone. I mean, I have girls, you know, 12-year-old girls, 14-year-old girls, 18-year-old, you know, 22-year-old, 20-year-old, 24-year-old. Like, I got girls. And and by the way, if you're wondering why I'm talking about girls here, is like, boy is okay. You don't want to lend this guy your phone, but like a 12 year old girl you know she wants to find her mom or wants to find her dad anyway the answer was no everywhere we went no matter who they asked the answer was just no 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 and and uh, my wife actually eventually asked one woman she said you know you're like the 10th woman who said no and i really need a phone i i don't want your phone but if you could just tell me why what is it about your phone or what is it about me? Like, just explain. Because this is just a phenomenon I've never seen. And she was just like, I said no and walked away. And I felt the same way when I flew United back to Israel just now. Because I always fly a LOL, but I mistakenly, you know, tried to save an organization a little money by buying a cheaper ticket for a Shabbaton. And, and I saved like 200 bucks. Not worth it. You know, I'd rather fly with people who... Care if I live or die, you know. And uh, it, it was crazy. And they, did I tell this story the other day about the overhead compartment and took the Israeli on the flight to get my bag there? Because mm-hmm. did I tell that? <sighs> anyway. Anyway, we're very special people, the Jewish people, and and we're we're all for one and one for all, and and. Um, Let's let's uh, and that is the greatest meaning also in our lives is the life of, of being there for each other, being really generous with our time and with our skill sets and with our just our advice, or, or, or you know, the, for example, us guys who are in our fifties, we probably have something to share with people who are trying to make a living in the field we made a living in. <coughs> Whether you did a great job making a living or whether you did an okay job or even a lousy job, you probably learned a lot. You know, and like, how much could you give back? We have so much to give. And you just have to be creative. You just got to be creative. Years ago, oh, when I was in colal, by the way, after several years in Kolel, I think three, four years in cola. Three years in cola. My wife and I got tired of not being able to give tzedakah. Because, you know, everyone gets to give tzedakah who has jobs. And I couldn't. And so we started a uh, we started a or charity organization, which long ago closed. But we started a charity organization called the Family of Israel. The Family of Israel. It all came from I was hearing it of our Torah by that extremely liberal rabbi Avi Weiss from the uh, Riverdale, and he said, if you want to understand the Jewish people, you could call us the Nation of Israel. You could call us the the. The uh, you know whatever all the other I'm Israel, the the people of Israel whatever he said but, but if you really want to understand the Jewish people you call us the family of Israel and I was like that's it and I like immediately I like, called an accountant in America and made a an, made a tax deductible called the family of Israel and uh, anyway after a while we were giving thousands of dollars a month out our door to poor people and people in all kinds of different situations. And then my wife said, you know what? i got an even better idea. Teach them how to fish. And she created something called the Jewish Sewing... the Israel Sewing... Jerusalem Sewing Cooperative. And what did she do? She took girls marrying Kolo guys and bought each one of them a brand new top-level professional sewing machine and and then would get um, top seamstress teachers to train them. And then there were a whole staff of... And then they would... They would create um, packages that brides and grooms have to bring into the wedding. Because when you get married, each couple has to bring in a set of linens. You know, duvet covers, pillowcases, top sheets, bottom sheets, gorgeous ones. I mean, really like top of the line. And, And then next thing we know, we got a warehouse filling up with the most gorgeous wedding sets for new couples. at at which we were distributing to families that can't afford the sets. So it was like, this is my wife, like just thinking out of the box, what can we do? What can we do for these people? And when those Lebanon missiles started flying onto Israel, and that crazy scene, and like people were in bomb shelters all over the north, but like it was like crazy, like we had no idea what was going to happen up north. And there were so many kids in trouble there. So she used the family of Israel once again, and, and she, she and a guy named Hanan Kaufman, who used to work with Age maybe he still does it. They raised, they raised a quarter of a million dollars in three days all through the family of Israel, and, and they brought down 1,200 people from living in bomb, sh- poor people, meaning really poor people living in bomb shelters, 800 of which were children and brought them down to Jerusalem and fed them and clothed them and put them up and like till that war ended my wife had 1200 kids 12 800 kids and and 400 adults to I mean literally down to like Tishabov hit and like everyone needed flip-flops because you're not allowed to wear leather shoes on that day and it was like 1200 flip-flops had to come in and Anyway, let's all if, if we got something from this lesson, it's give up on happiness. Let it go. Let go of happiness. It's going to ruin your life and get into meaning. Figure out what's worth sacrificing for and get busy with that. And and you will have the happiest life. Shalom everyone. Oh, uh oh, thank you. Yeah, so if you were watching this, so uh, a um, couple options. Uh, first of all, obviously, click, click, uh, share, uh, share, subscribe, follow, whatever those buttons are, and uh, and but join the media club. The media club uh, is called the Yom Media Club. Please uh, join the club and help us uh, fund the distribution and all the media platforms, so more and more people can get on with this.